Welcome to the Learning Hook Podcast. Join our team as they explore topics across learning and development, e-learning, media production, and all those creative learning spaces in between. For us, it's the just in time, just enough, and just for you. So let's learn, connect, perform, and do something great. So welcome to the Learning Hook podcast. Brendan Carter here, Creative Director and Founder of the Learning Hook. I'm very lucky to have Rihanna Power joining us today, Hello. Project Manager and Learning Designer at the Learning Hook, and Tracy Ezard. Hello. <laughs> author of The Buzz, Creating Thriving and Collaborative Learning Cultures, and Glue, The Stuff That Binds Us Together, her most recent book. And I love the glue too. I love that title, Tracy, the, the binding us together. It's a great metaphor. And you also have a wonderful title, Tracy, of professional triber. And I think whose mission is to create 21st century tribes that thrive. So welcome. Thank you. Lovely to be here. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Tracy. Uh, and, I, and I want to introduce our topic today too. Rihanna and I will be exploring with Tracy her work on creating thriving tribes within organisations spanning both education settings, um, government and corporate. And so we plan to have a specific focus on a more recent blog Tracy published on solving issues of learning within teams. So probably before we jump into that though, Tracy, it'd be great to hear a little bit of background. So what sort of led you to, to what you do now and, and your passion there? Yeah, I, um, I started off in education and uh, was always really passionate about building people's skills, you know, and, and helping people thrive and, uh, and myself. But, you know, how do we actually work together to, to learn how to do what we do better? And so that was always a driver for me. And I then got to work in the automotive industry as a project manager, in the hospitality industry as a business manager and what I took with me was that culture of growth you know how do we have a growth culture wherever we are and get people to walk in the door knowing that one of the things that's going to happen for them is growth so I started my business about 12 years ago and did a whole lot of looking at what is it that helps that to happen so I looked at you know leadership I'd always been uh, a leader even you know from, I remember from when I was a kid uh, that sort of was in my DNA but how do leaders really serve the people that they lead by by helping them to be their very best and helping to grow them. And so I looked at emotional intelligence. I have been really interested in the, the growth in neuroscience of leadership, uh, what's happening in the brain, how do we create the environment where uh, people come together to really push the status quo. So, and it came down to, you know, how do we have trust? So trust is always the basic foundation. So I work with organisations around, around that, around building leadership, so, you know, often go in and work around leadership programs, but also working with intact teams and leadership teams that say, how do we create the culture that we want to enable our strategy? So bringing culture and strategy together, which is critical, I think. They've got to be done together collaboratively to get the best outcomes. Interesting, the hospitality history, Tracy, because mm. I, I have, well, many of us have hospitality backgrounds because yeah. we might have been students at one point <laughs> in time or we took it seriously and sort of chased it a bit. I, yeah. For me, anyway, I just found that interesting that you mentioned mm. that because when you talk about serving, you also mention leaders mm. sort of serving, mm. how they best serve their teams. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting concept. One of the values we have here is I learned from hospitality was love all, serve all. Yes. And that's a company value, yeah, no. but I stole that yeah. <laughs> from Hard Rock Cafe. Yeah. And I loved it. And it came from, they stole it from somebody from India who had a saying of love all, serve all. And it meant anyone that walks through the door, if they've got their shoes on or not, we treat everybody with the same level of sort of respect and yeah. courtesy and urgency and, and level of service. Yeah. 
I love that. Anyway, so the service bit, I've, I've learned myself a lot around, I think, growth and perhaps and working with people around being in hospitality. Yeah. If you look at the great longevity in hospitality, you know, the great doyens of, of hospitality mm. around the place, mm. they usually have a very, very strong commitment to growing their teams. And, true, and, true, yeah, yeah. and building yeah. their teams, not going, well, you don't fit our mould, out you go. Mm. But actually being really thoughtful about what are we trying to create here and then how mm. do we upskill our people to be able to thrive in that environment. Uh, and I think that's, if you look at the yeah. hospitality industries that yeah. survive because it's a cutthroat industry, that's a driver for them, absolutely. I got my first epiphany with you anyway, Tracy, is to go back and have a look at hospitality methodology mm. a little bit, like to have a look, a bit more serious look at it. Because mm. I've known innately that I learnt so much in service and, and it got ingrained in me, mm. but I haven't sort of looked at it theoretically or, mm. or kind of gone back to actually, yeah, anyway, that's really interesting. Mm. I like that. Mm. That's great. Mm. So do you want to explore the blog a little bit? Yes. Yeah. Look, I think one of the first things, Tracy, that caught my attention was the use of the word tribe. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm. It depicts a sense of, it gives me a sense of people stick together, they work together, they protect each other. Uh, and I think we've overused the word team. I love tribe. So did you come up with this or what were you going for when you started calling yourself a tribe? Um, Talk about tribes. I, I've always been really keen to think of beyond teams, I suppose. Mm. And it was actually one of my, my mentors, Matt Church, who said to me, you know, there's this thing coming out of Hollywood at the moment around professional triber. And the, mm. the Hollywood version of professional triber is someone who brings together people to around a certain project, a certain thing, and then everyone goes hard uh, and then goes home sort of thing, you know. So it's bringing together the best people, creating the best environment, mm. and then moving on. I see. So I really like that but I wanted to really take it to actually people that don't necessarily they might come together in a matrix sort of organization which a lot of organizations have now that the, mm. the, the, the tribe approach is really important that when we're together around a particular project how do we make sure we know each other's skills how do we make sure we know each other as human beings how do we take time to do that rather than going straight to task mm. and we might go back to out then our more intact teams but we've got that ability to be more fluid and more agile around it because we've built really strong connections very quickly. So I take the tribe approach, I call it 21st century tribes, that says, you know, the old concept of tribe was there was a lot of protection. And I'm almost wary of that because in a 21st century tribe, I think siloed empathy, mm. siloed collaboration can actually get us into a whole lot of strife. So we work really well together, but everyone else, oh, I'm not too sure about them. You know, we look at that team over there, you know, they don't, they're, and so what we do is we become almost like too super protective of ourselves and our boundaries. Okay. So the 21st century tribe is about how do we open up to say the best we can do is to understand that when our boundaries merge with other parts of the organisation or with our key stakeholders, we're right. with our clients, that's when we get amazing things start to happen. So how about we get our heads up and we're looking out? And that's the 21st century part, I think, that, that says we've got to work differently. Before it was about how do we survive, mm. but I think now our survival in this sort of environment that we're in of fast-paced disruption mm. is about, you know, I might not know you over there, but what, what about if I got to know you? Yes. What difference could it make to the work we're trying to do? Right. So how does age-old practices like forming and norming come into today's agile world when we're required to adapt to things quickly and we don't have the luxury of time to yeah. say, you know, we're forming right now, let's just have patience, we'll yeah. move on slowly yeah. to the next stage. Yeah. 
do we just need to move on from what we've been told all along? Um, I, I think there's a lot. Look, I, you know, good old Bruce Tuckman, it's 1965, so he's over 50 years old with that model. And it's a, it is yeah. a great model. Everything's mm. sped up, and I think we can actually speed up the system a lot quicker. Okay. So because I think we're a lot more aware of the dynamics. So I believe that if we are really very focused on, if we want to be a 21st century tribe, what are we setting up first? So what are our driving values? What are our beliefs? It comes down, I believe, to what are the beliefs we have about learning from each other, being vulnerable with each other, yes. and challenging our thinking, challenging our assumptions. If we get clarity around that, then we also get clarity about what do we do when we do butt heads. I think the old paradigm of the storming mode mm. was it was when people disagreed. <laughs> mm. We're storming. Actually, no. Maybe we're just having a good, robust debate. Right. And and yeah. it's actually bringing up really good insights and we need to capture that and honour that thinking rather than pushing it down. So the old command and control leadership, I think, created yeah. a lot of storming because it would be people sitting there going, this ain't going to work, you know, this is not going oh. to... That's, this isn't going to fly. And if I say anything, it's going to look like I'm being disagreeable... Uh, you know, difficult. A, a difficult, a black hat. Whereas now we realise that they're actually often the innovators. They're often the people that are giving us insights that yeah. we need. Yeah. So I think the storming mode's been really, it's an old paradigm of cultures that are stuck right. because they don't understand how to bring out the best in people. So in a way, I think high performance has got a storming element in it, but it's got a positive quality to it right. that's about how do we challenge our our assumptions not how do I challenge your assumptions mm. but we are a tribe we are a team so what assumptions do we need to challenge what beliefs what frameworks what principles right do we need to challenge yeah. and a lot of this is um, you know any change in behavior and especially leadership behavior really is about top-down behavior isn't yeah. it so I think not just from an individual perspective but what cultures are we looking for within an organization that do this really well mm. and support learning in teams. Mm. So, um, you know, I'd really like to know about that ideal culture yes. and then move down to the leader, the ideal leader who actually yeah. enables learning in teams. Right. Yes. So, so I think there's two things there. Yeah, okay. So within the culture, I think there's uh, three main elements. And the first one is what mindset do we bring into the organisation? So are we focused on having you know, what Professor Carol Dweck calls a growth mindset. Now, it can be mm. called an agile mindset, can be called a learning mindset, but is it one of possibility? Is mm. Do we have a belief that when we see challenges, we actually go, what do we do around this? When we have healthy competition, do we see as that as an opportunity to learn or an opportunity to get jealous or downtrodden? Mm. Or When we have comfort zone behaviours that are holding us back, are we willing to change habit? try something different yeah uh, so are we i call it the learning zone so you know we know that when we're out of our comfort zone that's where hopefully we have growth so the learning zone um, allows us to be in this space of excitement around learning whereas often we have um, a culture where people are frightened so the psychological safety isn't there and so i'm not getting out of my comfort zone because mm. i don't feel safe so how do we create safety is so the, the mindset is the first key to safety is how do we inspire a mindset of growth and possibility and learning? Right. And I think exploring some of our beliefs around that, some really interesting beliefs we bring mm. to the table around, so if I say something, people are going to judge me. 
I'm going to be fearful. I'm going to be shamed, you know. Or Brene's, uh, Brene Brown's work around vulnerability comes in here of how do I actually have, how do we have a mindset, a group mindset that's about protecting each other with trust and, uh, and a, a space where we can be vulnerable. Yes. That is the first cornerstone. And mm. so underlying it is, is this foundation of trust that helps that mindset to come about. Yeah. If we don't have that trust, we have um, a mindset of fear which causes a fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. So what we know from the neuroscience is that that brings up the cortisol, that mm -hmm. shuts down our prefrontal cortex. And that's mm -hmm. where we do all our collaboration, all our problem solving, our cognitive load. And if we don't feel safe, that prefrontal cortex is not doing its job. No, and we're not producing too. So they're not delivering what we need to deliver, right? Absolutely. That's just the difference. We all know that teams win games. Yep. It's not individuals. Right. So it's, yeah, that growth mindset's hugely important. I was thinking too, I heard a phrase recently anyway, I'm just throwing it in the mix, but it yeah. was uh, business is unusual. That's it. So we often talk about, let's get this into business as usual. And when I was thinking about your learning zone, I'd read that in the blog, I think, Tracy, but I, I probably hadn't picked up on the, I, I just thought, oh, really nice there that you're talking about comfort zone and getting out of your comfort zone could be getting into your learning zone, right? Yeah. yeah. But then I thought, well, hold on, once you've all got a growth mindset, that learning zone is actually quite a comfortable space to play in. And it's okay to be challenged and it's, yeah. and it's okay to challenge too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's very important for people as well. Yeah. So I was thinking, oh, that's almost setting up business as unusual yeah. where you're feeling comfortable in this disrupted space because mm -hmm. people have your back yeah. um, basically and you, you're fairly safe. And, you know? and, and you're able to push the, the status quo, yes. you know, and I think that's the space. And, mm. you know, there, there are some of us for whom that's what we thrive on. And so our, mm. our learning zone can sometimes actually be to pause yeah. and to stop. And to yeah. chill <laughs> and do yeah. the opposite. Well, I know yeah. that as a manager too. Yeah, at times we're, we're that, uh, you know, talking about our business again, I guess one of our values again is accountability like many, but a part of that accountability is I think we state in our, in our value that you, you should be able to question status quo yeah. at, at every level yeah. within our business and we expect, we actually expect you to. Yeah. But as a manager, I can get fatigued at times when people can be overly questioning the status quo at times. It's like, oh, you know, we can't reinvent process too much. That's it. And so um, they're there. Yeah. yeah. And there's yeah. your push that says, yeah, okay, so true. that's, yeah. that's maybe enough. Yeah. 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 That's it. That, and so where do we get stuck? Anytime yeah. we get stuck, it's, it's good to look at the, the blind spots, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that mindset piece is yeah. the first big piece. The second, so I call that mind. So there's three M's around this. The oh, next God. one is a compelling environment, which is what are the moments we're Creating, moments, yeah. so the moments mm. um, so the compelling environment how do we create this environment as individuals and as as a tribe where we are compelled to come together not repelled yes uh, mm. and i think sometimes yeah. we repel people we create meetings that are so deadly dull and boring that everyone wants to snooze off people come to meetings upon meetings upon mm. meetings with no mm. purpose people don't ask them questions yeah everyone sits in the same seat facing the same way thinking the same things yeah we don't make it fun and fun is important for our brain you just even having a joke you know absolutely how, how much difference does that make and mm. what we know is that that gives the brain the oxytocin of connection which is ox yeah. um you know the flush of, of joy and oxytocin that again allows our prefrontal cortex to engage mm. Mm. so having a compelling environment creating processes where people are just listening to downloads yep. of leaders downloading information. Uh, mm. You know, <laughs> <laughs> no wonder people don't want to be around that. Yeah. So that's a big part of the second piece. And then the last piece is mm. um, the mouth. What's actually coming out of our mouth? Are we having mm. authentic dialogue? 
So are we talking about the stuff that really matters, that really makes change in what we're trying to do? And if we've got a strong tribe learning culture, then that's imperative, that it's that's always on the agenda, as you were mm-hmm. saying, Brendan, always thinking, well, how could we do this differently? Is this getting us the results we're after? You know, and always yeah. having that curiosity. And I think curiosity is just key to authentic dialogue, is do we ask questions? Yeah. Or we do we do ask and tell? You know, I got to learn conversational intelligence from an amazing woman over in New York, Judith E. Glaser, and mm. she's done cultural transformations in organisations oh. around getting executives to have different conversations. And she was amazing. I got to work with her via Skype, being on the other side of the world, yeah. around that methodology, and I use it with, with teams. How do we have... She has three levels to her conversational intelligence. One is there's the us can tell level Mm. where it's very didactic. Yes Yes or no. This is what I know. This is what I need you to do. And if we stay in that, what we bring up is a lot of distrust, a lot of cortisol in people. And then level two is advocate and inquire. So, you know, you've got a perception, Rhiannon, and I've got a perception. Let's talk about it. And so we sort of sceptically listen. But my real role in this is to bring you over to my side. Uh, And then level three is share and discover. And that's where we go into co-creation. And we're actually looking at what can we create together. And curiosity is a key part to that. Mm. And how are we painting a picture of mutual success? Right, right. And that's a synergy. I guess that's the one plus one equals. I think it is also, now when I say culture, I'm not talking about organization culture, but I'm talking about your upbringing, right? Mm. I spoke to a colleague recently who's um, from China, Mm. and he was talking to me about uh, how different it is working there. Mm. Um, And he said, when your manager tells you to do something, you do it. You don't argue, you don't question, because the assumption is the manager knows best, right? So you just do it. In India, where I've worked for, you know, long period of time things are changing things mm-hmm. are getting better mm-hmm. but it's still about the manager is your teacher so your manager knows best and I think it's a little difficult having these conversations in terms of authentic dialogues because a lot of cultures don't support that kind of dialogue yes. in your experience in working with workplaces outside of Australia mm-hmm. what are some of these challenges that you've heard from leaders who want to make that change but possibly can't because of other cultural factors is you know um is there any advice you can give these kind of teams or workplaces i do believe it's small chunks Mm. so how can you actually put structure around that because uh often i think those sort of cultures there is a lot of structure and there is a lot of definition around hierarchy and so being able to say how do we actually in this meeting we are going to spend half an hour where what we're going to do is we are going to move into a space of exploration Mm. and that what then happens is there's very clear it goes back to the mindset what is the mindset we need for this half an hour that allows people the freedom to be able to question everything and to be able to pause hierarchy so there is no right or wrong here Mm. there is no status around the table for this half an hour and so you just allow people to play with it. Right. And there is no fallout. So it, the, the leaders absolutely have to be invested into saying, okay, so we're going to have someone, you know, this happened for me yesterday where towards the end of our workshop, someone said, I've got to be honest, I'm not fully on board with this yet. So we need to be able to have people safe enough to be able to do that. And so if you can do it in small chunks, yes, um, I think that's important. At the same time, I really do believe we need to develop leaders to understand that letting go mm. 
is critical to success of this. Letting go of ego, to be perfectly frank, Uh, letting go of status. Status brings up fear in people. And so what we do is we close down. We have to, you know, I really believe a lot of leadership programs majorly miss the mark because they forget to encourage leaders to let go of their leadership rather than hanging on tightly to it. And so this whole space of learning, leader as learner, is a piece that often people have not even thought of. Yeah. And I like what you said about letting go of, you know, the ego. Because one of my questions were around one of the terms that you use where leaders assume that they are enlighteners. Yes. And then... That pretty much determines um, the pace of the meeting. Um, So how do team members, you know, um, a lot of team members probably have enlighteners as managers. For me, it's, you know, I see it as a way of managing upwards to try and facilitate behavior change in a manager. That's not always easy. But someone just asked me about it a couple of weeks ago because he's so tired of getting his manager to create learning within teams and it's not working. So he, he asked me, what can I do? I said, you have to manage upwards. And we had a little discussion around the kind of questions he can ask. What can he say? How can he say? How about we try doing this a little differently yeah. and taking baby steps towards showing the manager how one can benefit from doing things differently and just keep your fingers crossed and hope that it uh, makes a difference, yeah. I guess. Because often the, um, the managers have never experienced it themselves, no. so they don't know what they don't oh. know. Yeah. Uh, so it is, I think it's, that was great advice you gave. I think, you know, how can I ask a question? And, and, and even to come from the perspective of sitting down with the manager and saying, look, I've got a challenge and I wonder if you've got 10 minutes where I could ask you to play a particular role for me. Mm. And yeah. you actually then ask the leader to be in a curious mode where what they do is they ask you questions to bring out your best thinking. Yes. And so you're basically asking them to be a coach in a sneaky way. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And I think what we do is it comes from a long DNA of expecting managers to have answers. So when I work with leaders around this, I often ask them to think about when someone comes to them with a problem, one, one thing I can't stand, and it's almost like an evolution. If you've got a high-performing team, you'll, you'll get this. Mm-hmm. If you've got a team that's quite toxic or corrosive, mm-hmm. then often we go, don't come to me with a problem, come to me with a solution. And I totally get that if you've got people that just come and complain and that's all they do, that you really do need them to get solution-oriented. Mm-hmm. I feel that sometimes that approach gets you to a certain level and then what it does is it closes down creativity and innovation because people go... I would really love, say, Brendan, you're, mm. you're the leader. I would really yeah. love to just go and bounce this idea off with Brendan. But he's always said to me, I can't go to him with a problem. I've got to go with a solution, but I'm not quite at the solution yet. Mm. But I would love to just shoot the breeze around mm. this with him. Because so, that collaborative conversation is powerful. Often if yeah. your leader is has a lot of experience and they're good at the job, so whether they've got into personal skills or not, they're probably very good at the area that you're in and that's yeah. why they're in that position. So yep. that's why you want to bounce those ideas off them and find that time yep. and you get something better. It's a popcorn situation where the ideas are just flowing and you, you actually mm. become a collaborative partnership. So mm. I call it collaborative inquiry. Mm. Uh, and you can mm. be quite focused on that. Let's have a collaborative inquiry set up where what we're doing is just popcorning. Mm. Uh, and my role as leader... Uh, is not to give you the answers, but my role is to partner with you in terms of creating some answers. It's a completely different paradigm, and some mm. leaders are very skilled at it, Yes, uh, and some are not so much, so we almost need to lead them to it yes. and, and just frame up what it is. I would love to catch 10 minutes of your, your diary or 15 minutes of your diary, mm. uh, and these are the parameters that would really help me. Um, 
or as a leader, how do I say to my team, okay, I would love if you come with solutions, but I also know mm. that what's going to be even better is if we collaborate on some answers around this. Yeah. So I'm open to that. And there's just clarity. Usually it comes yeah. down to lack of clarity. Right. Unknown expectations. I know I've had, you know, I've done mm. run lots of leadership programs and the amount of leaders that say to me, yeah. oh, oh, I don't have to have the answer. No, well, that, that's the thing. That's yeah. that sort of, you know, whether it, it's a male, female thing, often men are stereotyped with the piece of, like, we just want to give you an answer, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and, and the stereotype for women is, but I just want to talk about it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and that stereotype, though, whether it's male, female or not, yeah. is kind of attributed to some leaders. Probably it's a challenge for some people. Um, they're just looking to go, well, I'm the boss here. I'm meant to be your leader. I need to give you a quick answer. Yeah. What are you giving me, serving me up this for? Because yeah. I can't answer that. And they find that, yeah, I guess that's um, threatening a little bit. Yeah. But a lot yeah. of the times it's also about how much time you have, right? That's right. I mean, you may that's want true. to coach. You may want to Absolutely. ask the right questions. Yep. But that's going to take us 15 minutes. Yep. But if I just tell you how to do it, we're done in 30 Absolutely. seconds. So I think that's the constant challenge that everyone's it trying is. to, you know, and balance out. Yeah. It is hard to balance. I remember a manager who was, you know, who was following the playbook, I think, of uh, a good manager. Yep. Um, but following the playbook of... Um, Oh, well, Brendan, what do you think? And I'm like, just tell me the answer. I'm not going to say his name because he might be listening. <laughs> but I just, see, at times I found it quite frustrating because yeah. I know I know what you're getting me to do here and I'd talk through it and get there. Yeah. But I'm like, can you just, I just want to cut through right now because yeah. I'm in a hurry. That's it, yeah. Um, and you've got to have that, that flexibility yeah. as a leader to not understand yeah. that, don't you? Yeah, think absolutely. I, yeah, I think mm. what we also need to do is, it's a very famous metaphor I use a lot with, with leaders around balcony and dance floor from Ron mm. Heifetz and Marty Linsky uh, around we have to have a balcony view of the dance floor, but we also have to have a really good connection between the two. Yeah. So this is a good opportunity for connection. So, you know, so you might go to your leader and you've got really good insights from the dance floor mm. that actually that's going to be really important for those mm. balcony decisions. Mm. I've actually been thinking about this that I think in today's world, the balcony bit can be quite fixed. And we need to almost be drones. <laughs> we need to have a drone situation where we can actually go off and have a look at other dance laws and come back and we're, we're mm. a bit more flexible. But from this drone position, we should, I think because we are so stressed and time mm-hmm. poor, it's about being really strategic about what's going to make the biggest difference on the dance floor and let's co-create around that. Yeah. So rather than going in and spending stuff on time that's not as critical to mm-hmm. our success, mm-hmm. how can we be strategic and absolutely pass all time in the diary to say, let's get all the great perspectives mm-hmm. that we need around. Let's get our customer's perspective. How do we sit in the customer's shoes? Whatever it might be. And the people out there doing the work, how do we get their feedback on this really critical piece rather than us just making either mm-hmm. making sweeping decisions or just going, this is the answer. So it's about being strategic, I think, about where, what's going to make the biggest difference to go into this collaborative yeah. inquiry, co-creation space. Right. And then you have, of course, you have the leader who's doing everything right in terms of creating this collaborative space. And you have all team members who are very enthusiastic about this as mm-hmm. well. But you have that one team member who just doesn't see the point of all of this, mm-hmm. right? This one team member comes in, meets expectations on the job, sometimes exceeds expectations, mm-hmm. But it's not really putting in this extra effort to mm. create this learning environment mm. in the team. Mm. What do you do with that one person? Because that one person and their lack of effort can pretty much disrupt everything that the leader is trying to do. So I guess what I'm asking is, what's the whiff for that person? How can one convince that person mm. that 
there's a benefit for you in this because that person may just say I don't want to learn anymore you know yeah. I'm just happy doing my job and I'm doing it well you're paying me to do this mm-hmm. and I'm doing it so why do I really need to put in this entire effort yeah. and have these conversations so how do you deal with people like that um, so I, I suppose the first thing that I would question mm. is about are you doing it the very best you can mm. if you're never having conversations about how do I grow what I'm doing? I don't think necessarily this is something that we, we always do. We're always in this mindset. Mm. And yet, whenever we're doing something, we've been doing it for a long time, the world's changing. There's no way that we can always be at the top of our game if we're not willing to go and and look and reflect on what we're doing well. Mm. My other perspective would be that research shows that if we are truly interdependent mm. and we're not committing to that, then there's a lack of psychological safety for the whole team, which means the whole team is not working as well as it could be. Right. So my impact of my behaviour, if that's what I do, of, oh, look, I don't really contribute. Um, I call them, you know, the people who have quit. They've quit on the team. They turn up every day, but they've actually quit on the team. Yeah. I'll sit in my corner and I'll do my job. The effect they're having on the rest of the team is actually Im- impacting the ability for the team to do their very best because mm. it's that psychological safety is not there. And I guess that brings me to something else. Organizations have, you know, they have their annual performance reviews mm. with individuals, half yearly, sometimes yeah. quarterly, yeah. but we never seem to have team reviews. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, why why doesn't that happen? Mm-hmm. Why doesn't, you know, the team get together every mm. three or six months yeah. and review things like this mm. in terms of this is what we want to achieve as a team yeah. and let's look at how we've done. Yeah. You know, so then I think that it makes that one person more accountable because we are looking at our scorecard and we are going, okay, something or someone's bringing us down. And I really don't see people getting the team together and talking about how they're working as a team. It's it's so much about individual performance. Yeah, and I think high-performance teams are moving to that. Like these 21st century tribes. And, Mm. you know, I bring over, there's great work going on in education around this and a lot of work, you know, where educators will get together in triads And their job is Mm. to be learning partners with each other around teaching and learning. So their main, their core business, really. Mm. Uh, And to look at how do we ensure that we are giving the best education to the groups of children that we teach, the students that we teach, and how do we lift them up? And they are, they're getting really rigorous around what's the team result we're looking for. Uh, And I think we can pull a lot from that because there's, they're, they're creating that psychological safety by talking very deeply about what are we trying to achieve? What are our, what are our team results? Yeah. How do we shift them? And, you know, Patrick Lincioni with his five dysfunctions of a team, you know, mm. the, the top one is inattention to team results. The bottom one's absence of trust. So mm. uh, where do we not have any eye on what our team goals are? Mm. Uh, it's, it's, I think, a critical piece. And look, I, I, and, you know, I don't know whether you heard my voice, but before, the whole idea of performance reviews, just usually done. So badly. Absolutely. Uh, you know, they're, they're stressful, they're often punitively based, or they're just, let's have this conversation, then we put it into the filing cabinet or, you know, up on yes. the SharePoint for, for a year yeah, and yeah. we never look at it. This, a, a learning culture in a team, it's not a standalone. It's, a, it's mm. a built into the DNA of how we work. Yeah. And so when you and I are working on a project, we talk about it and we, how is it going and we're learning all the time. Yes. I in in glue I um, mm. refer to Ed Catmull who mm. uh, CEO, CEO of Pixar you know and mm. they at the end of every film they do mm, a post mortem right. mm. yeah and so that post mortem they have the whole team pull apart the project but also everyone that's on the next project 
whether the film got to release or not, yeah. comes in and they, they, they go through it. Now, they, and, and it is a ritual. It's a learning ritual that yes. they have. Yes. And they bring up some really interesting things along the way to make sure that they're focusing on the right thing moving forward. Mm. Uh, so I think when a, a 21st century tribe has got that learning mm. culture in their DNA, so, you know, you've got a tricky client, then it becomes a learning opportunity. Hey, Bill, you've worked with this client for years and had a lot of success. Can you talk to us about what are the things mm. that really work with Bill? You know, how can yeah. we get Bill? And then how am I learning that? And, and taking that and trying it out and experimenting and giving it a go. It becomes a modus operandi rather than a, mm. well, we just do it in our performance reviews or yeah. we just do it in our, yeah. Yeah, we were talking about that this morning, mm. a little before you came in, where a lot of our feedback just happens sitting there. Yeah. And it's not formal feedback, but That's it's it. just about, you know, maybe this idea is not best suited, maybe we could try something else. And it's important just to listen and learn from all of those conversations. Of course, there are the, um, you know, odd ones uh, who would prefer more formal conversations. And I think that's okay because, yeah. you know, those people really want to have that formal discussion. Mm -hmm. But learning just from conversations, I think, is key. And I think it's the best way to provide feedback and create learning and teams. I think that's the greatest challenge in, in large, you know, organisations, mm -hmm. you know, whether they're sort of bureaucratic. You probably can't help but be bureaucratic in a large organisation. Yeah. And everybody's trying to now... Not everybody, but a lot of businesses are moving away from that That's and it. embracing That's the right. concepts of 21st century tribes, really, yeah. and that kind of, and, and agile. Yeah. And I, I've often thought about it working in small business. I, I've worked across, you know, in large enterprise too, but I, I love small business because of this dynamic. Mm. When it's a successful, healthy small business, mm. Mm. it's just a natural thing mm. that because it's flat management you know, generally speaking. And uh, yeah, everybody can talk to anybody. Everybody's got each other's back because you need to, because there's not that necessarily, you know, another 2,000 people that can do your job. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's right. Um, it's an amazing feeling, in fact, of that high-performing culture mm. and team. Mm. And, and I've seen people develop in their careers out of sight within yeah. that environment too. I think a challenge for any large corporate or small business is the... A lot of things you've said today, I'm hearing there's a lot of process in this, like really good process, like to get the mind shift of the leader to manage up, like book in 15 minutes of their time, because they are really busy, you know, so set the parameters. I think you used that term earlier too, like, you know, or, or if you're going to run a session as a leader to change the team and do something different, set parameters, set some rules, make sure everyone's very clear and feel very safe because there are rules, like a game, you know, we can all feel like these are the rules, this yeah. is cool, I can play, but the but for me is it's not a but it's just a challenge it's, it's the time it's actually finding the time when at us as a group my business tracy we aim to do a monthly breakdown of demos internally mm -hmm. and it's such a nice idea everybody loves it right mm -hmm. crack a beer or a mm -hmm. glass of wine or yeah. or you know if you really want to have a cordial on the three o'clock on a friday afternoon and let's show each other our work show and tell so right. because we all get so caught up in what we do yeah. and so it's just a chance to but because during those sessions, what happens is a form of a learning because we start picking it apart. People will get my insight, too, and I get theirs and we all see Absolutely. each other's, you know, like it, it's everybody's even and we we do pick it apart a little bit. And that can be confronting. But I just see everybody sees that it's worthwhile at every level of our right. business. Because the outcome is huge. But it's the time fell off the rails uh, anyway. So yeah. I'm sharing a, yeah. a, a failure, really, because I see the value in it. And it's once you value that and you know there is true value there, I guess that's where it's the ROI. You've got to keep that in mind as a in business thinking or 
everywhere in a business conversation and context is that this is an investment, not a cost center code. That's it. If our main outcome and our main outcome will be our product will be better, it's an investment. Well, why wouldn't you? Clients are happier, staff's happier. We're all across what each other has done. We can cross pollinate. Mm -hmm. We're thinking, and again, it's been strategic around that. You know, how much it is. This is the thing. It's the booking the time and sticking to it. Busy work compared Mm. to really productive in conversation Mm. that's going to get really good impact on our work. And again, the, the history for people is, well, we sit in meetings and we don't go anywhere or we don't have good conversations or it's one person droning on. Mm. And so for a lot of people, not in this environment because mm. that's creating that, yeah. but for a lot of people, that's their experience. Same with the performance reviews. There's a lot of people doing great stuff, but it's because a structure had to be put in basically because people weren't having any Energy. acknowledgement of their skills, of where they need to grow. And so structures had to be put in. Yeah, there's a reason yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Baby mm. steps. Right. <laughs> Great. I've got another question for you, Tracy. Work that you do is so interesting because it's about transforming tribes and teams and people. Yeah. Is there any story that you can share, like the, the biggest transformation that you saw of a team? Or I, I don't know, I have an insight there because I think often people can feel a bit in large organisations, particularly that, you know, new managers come in and they get all these bright ideas and HR running some another program. Nothing's going to change around here. You know, like there, yep. there is that attitude at yep. times. But yeah, is there a story of a business or a team or a person that you've seen, you know, that you could share? That's a... Yeah. So I, I worked with a team. So it was over, it was probably about six years ago. And they were, so an organisation, probably about 150 staff. Their history had been quite an authoritarian sort of leadership mm. style. And then an environment where people are pretty autonomous as well. So what happened was, you, you've, so you've got a lot of strong-willed people, <laughs> mm. all wanting to do their thing and being told what to do. So, so you've already got that set up of uh, a lot of distrust. Yeah. Mm. People are in protection mode. So we had a leadership retreat, and even that was met at the start with a lot of cynicism. Right? The, mm. the, and um, some union-oriented people in the room, you know, uh, what's this? fluff type of thing, a lot of mm. cynicism. And we started to tell the story of the place and have people, I often get people to sit around a big semicircle and I chart up, because well, I work very visually with teams. I think when we work visually, we see what we're trying to create. And we told the story, but what did they had they learned along the way? What were the things mm. that really stuck out in terms of really getting them to where they wanted to go? Mm. So you start talking about the vision of where you mm. want to go. So then they started having really deeper conversations that they'd never had before. Mm. And over the two days, we went through a process of doing a lot of orientation around what do we want to what does this organization need to be a great leadership team Uh, need of us to be a great leadership team because we can't move an organization unless we've had a really good hard look at ourselves around where we want to go to what are what are the things that we're trying to achieve how do we need to be different Hmm. to get there so uh, and they've never had those conversations and always take it from the perspective of the people you're trying to lead that's like the how i serve thing again too and and it's a bit like customer you know, how can we really serve the customer if we mm. make decisions without really knowing what the customer wants, yeah. you know, or don't even think about the customer? It's the same with our tribes. I, I always say to leaders, if your people were in here telling me about you, what would they be saying? 
to me. Right. And I think as leadership teams, we need to say the same thing. Right. So we did a whole lot of work over those two days. And we also did a lot of work around the strategy, around what did we need to do that. And so they experienced the co-creation. They experienced the collaborative mm. inquiry together and being really honest and started to build the trust that had been missing. We left that retreat with some really strong goals, team result goals yeah. that they were going mm. to be looking at. Right. Um, and I sort of worked with them over the time we did leadership programs to build leadership development. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we came back four years later for the next strategic plan and oh. I got out all the old charts. So we had masses ah. of old charts and I put them all up. And oh. I always take digital photos of them and send them. So we've always got that. It's yes. really great, useful. Great and people people then go back to it because there's always a lot of really good ideas in that in that collaborative visual oh. tools. So I put them back up and we'd done some visioning around where do you want to be in 10 years time as a school? So where have you been? And we went back and, and the amazing thing was them realising that it was all about having more authentic dialogue that then led to more trust, that then yes. led to a mindset of change, being able to make change happen and yeah. be willing and open to learning. Yeah. They were able to look at it and go, well, A, look at all the things we achieved in those last four years. That's amazing because yeah. we did another history map and then look at where we've changed in terms of our mindset on how we work together as an organisation. Yeah. So, and they're just keeping on going from strength cool. to strength. Yeah, it's a good feeling. It's great. It was so exciting. We were all in the yeah. room, so excited about yeah. the shift that had happened. In I the love world. looking at the old charts too, because it's it's truly sort of that's the ROI in a way, like a very measurable impact. And you know that there's been growth when you do look at old work and you go, who who even did that? Like who said that? Who, yeah, that's it. When you're not there anymore, right? Because yeah. you've moved on so far. Yeah. No, that's brilliant, Tracy. Um, I've got one other question. I think you kind of answered it, but maybe there's another one here. It's around learning hooks. So it's our um, it's the play on our company name, of yeah. course. But learning hooks are really cool things. Like when that learning hook works for you, it's an eye opener. But sometimes, I mean, I particularly like my own. That I, if you ask me, I'd give a story about how I gave somebody else a learning hook. You know, like where I saw them. Yep. change some thinking or yep. give them experience. Do you have a learning hook for in your own career or sort of a point where you, it just turns your thinking around or something that hooks you into perhaps what you do? Oh, hmm. I reckon I have them all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really I really do. Um, probably the biggest one for me recently is, is hanging out with a bunch. Uh, I'm part of Thought Leaders Australia and yeah. we get together every quarter and and hang out for three days and then we have a really strong online portal and the, the brains that are in this that room are totally overwhelming sometimes you've really got to walk outside and go oh my god there's so many people in that room and and yet you know the the founders of that matt church and uh, peter cook phenomenal mm. around helping people get their brilliant ideas out of their heads mm. and so the reason i went there was because i thought mm, I, i've got all this great stuff i do but there's no shape to it you know, mm. I, I get and I start working with people and they love it, but there's no real shape to it. Mm. And so they helped me get what I was thinking, my IP, out of my head. Uh, and out of it came the books, out of it came more sense of the value that I add. That was a real learning hook for me. It's it's really shaped my thing and continues to. I'm, you know, it's all that always thinking stuff that I know mm. you guys do here. It's how can we never stay static but always be building on what we believe and what we help people with and what we see has impact and so that's been massive for me in terms of giving me ideas but just it blows my mind all the time you know and sometimes you just got to go away and just think my girlfriends and I we just spent a week in Bali where um, and the three of us um, just went and had a thinking week retreat and we wrote and we thought and we swam and we drank and we ate and we laughed (laughs) 
Uh, but it was all about... What a lost time. I know. We need to have a thinking with Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> we need to think. We'll have a Christmas Bali. party in Bali one year. Uh, well, because all these businesses, all these organisations oh, okay. and businesses I work for, they have retreats yeah. and I get to go and work. Yeah. <laughs> so for this one, I went to go and I was still working, yeah. but it was it was just joyful. So I'm all about how do we bring more joy mm. into the workplace? Yeah. Um, how do we have joy bubbles, I call them. Mm. And mm. for me... That was a joy bubble. It was seven days of joy bubble. Mm. What what I've seen lately too, Tracy. Just I think I'm just agreeing really, but I, it's been a, a recent learning hook for me, and I think it's a similar one. But it was that seeing people like you that are very successful entrepreneurs and business owners and doing amazing work that you, I think you're really passionate about and you enjoy, mm. and you're doing well at. You invest so much time into your own professional development in yeah. relationships and partnerships and professional courtesies and things. It's that investment just it, it can't you know go by the wayside. I, I recently did something similar and joined a, an amazing group and the the power of those people and it it cost for me quite a bit of money yeah. that I don't normally spend on myself in professional development. I've been very successful really by luck or whatever, but just doing, studying stuff myself, mm. googling it, doing it on the cheap. And I believe quality before cost at all times. And, and quality before cost also means investing in yourself. And that professional development is an ROI. Because I, I know when you talk about time away, I know some people do feel like, oh, well, you know, that costs, a, it's the value of that can be oh, amazing. Looking at the diary ahead and actually booking that stuff in. So booking in family first, because otherwise work can overtake everything. Absolutely. Family first, plop, block that in, yeah. thinking time second, yeah. and then all the client and time. And committing to that and, and having that plan. Yeah. Well, that's been awesome, Tracy. Thanks yeah. for joining us. It's been good fun. I yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. This is something that I'm very, very passionate about. So I'm constantly looking for ideas and what people are doing in the space. So this was fascinating. It was, was great fun. Yeah. If you want to learn more about Tracy, you've got to go to www.tracyezard.com. And I'm sure you could pick up both of the books. Yep. Yeah, both of the books there. And um, yeah, look, really enjoyed that, Tracy. And look forward to catching up in the future. Thanks, Brendan. Yeah. Thanks, Brendan. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.